Welcome to the Weimar podcast of government policy, real estate, and you. I'm Liz Recchia, Government Affairs Director for Weimar. In February 2019, I was fortunate to interview Maricopa Mayor Price at our Coffee with the Mayor event hosted by our Pinal chapter. In part two, we discuss the various organizations the mayor is a part of and how Maricopa interacts with them to bring assets and economic development to Maricopa, as well as influencing state legislation to promote local issues. The mayor describes changing the culture of city government and the online services now available to business to help expedite opening and expanding a business. He describes the city's business directory, a useful tool for residents and realtors to know what businesses are in business and where they are. What do you think? 50 to $60 billion of trade from Mexico going through Arizona would mean to the economy of Maricopa and the state. How is the city of Maricopa working with the Akchen Indians and the Union Pacific Railroad to foster economic development and improvements for the city and the region? Listen as Mayor Price describes these and other considerations for his city. You are part of several different organizations. I'm going to read this list off because it's quite Uh-oh. amazing. You are in Maricopa County and all of Arizona. You are part of the Arizona League of Cities and Towns, the I-11 Coalition, you are GPEC Ambassador, Pinal County Government Alliance, MAG, which is the Maricopa Association of Governments, Maricopa Economic Development Association, Maricopa Chamber of Commerce, and the Lower Santa Cruz River Alliance. So let's start with what is a GPEC Ambassador and what does GPEC do? And then sort of go through those others, including your MAP program. Talk okay. about how it integrates. So, yeah, I, I have a firm belief that, uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to attract people, from outside of the area that you're in, then you really have to get outside of that area, right? You can't, you can't stay in your fishbowl and hope that some of the fish is just gonna accidentally jump in, right? You have to actually get out there and, and you know, seek something out. And so uh, I, I kind of believe you have to, you have to make, it, uh, make it what you want it to become. And so I'm a big, big, big believer, again, coming from the private sector, and you guys are, I'm, I'm speaking to the choir here, that it's all about networking, right? You have to get out there and you have to make things happen for you. And, and that's the way you do it in business, and it's the same way you build a city. You have, to, you have to want to make things happen. And so I believe that we have to raise Maricopa's profile to, to be a player, so to speak, right? I mean, we don't have that luxury, even though we share the, the name of Maricopa County. You know, we don't have the luxury of saying, my name is Gilbert, or my name is the city of Phoenix, right, or Scottsdale. And so as such, we have to do a bigger, better job of getting out there and raising our profile. So I believe that one of the ways you do that is you participate in everything. Uh, that can be really hard uh, at times, uh, especially when there's only one of you and, and you're supposed to be everywhere. Uh, but you, you really have to do everything you can to know the players, to know what's going on, and to be able to, to have a say, and a, a piece of the table, so to speak, right? A seat at the table. So. Uh, GPEC is the Greater Phoenix Economic Council. We have two cities that are outside of the Phoenix metro area that are allowed inside there, and that is uh, us and Casa Grande. We did this way back when, when, when GPEC was still fairly young, yet Maricopa was born 15 years ago, and our first economic development director was the original founder of GPEC. And that person still works with us at MEDA, which is called the Maricopa Economic Development Alliance, which is kind of a mini GPEC that we run with inside the city. And so again, we're always trying to do things that are very forward thinking uh, as a young city that move us forward, both economically as well as 
just keep us as a player and have a seat, a seat at the table. GPEC has an ambassador's program, and as such, I am the chair of that um, ambassador's program. And so my job is to help with site selection and also bring in the private sector into GPEC to uh, help them have a, a role uh, in, in attracting new businesses to the area. Uh, because at the end of the day, you guys all know people I don't know, and I know people you don't know. And it's the same principle when you take that on a much bigger scale. And so if you take the Phoenix metro area with folks like, I don't know, the owner of, uh, of the Suns or the owner of the Diamondbacks, and you bring them to the table and you bring the educational components to the table like Michael Crow and, and others, once you start bringing all these folks to the table, now you have a, a great place to, from which to build policy from and to sell uh, this area to other businesses around the country that are looking to relocate and to move their headquarters here. And so those are, those are some of the things that we work on, on doing that. Um, from a legislative side, I participate in the Arizona League of Cities and Towns, and I happen to be the president of the Arizona League of Cities and Towns right now. Um, that's something pretty amazing for us as a city because, again, uh, we had never been on the executive committee. And so I was able to work us onto the executive committee and then into an officer position and then ultimately take the presidency, which I think is, helps raise Maricopa's profile when you are representing all 91 cities and towns at the state legislature and then also meeting with the governor and the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate uh, and spending a lot of time down there to help influence state legislation so that it doesn't hurt your cities and towns. Because at the end of the day, there's a lot of bills that hurt cities and towns. And I don't really understand that because it's, you know, left hand hurting what the right hand is doing. And that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me because at the end of the day, it's, it's not like we have a big coffer of money in the back with a big vault. It's in one door and out the other to police and fire and streets and infrastructure and all the things that you demand to have in, in the way of services. And so every time that those numbers go down from the state, then your services have to go down. It's just the way it works. So, yeah. Great. So as we move through here, how about we look at your City Hall 24-7 program. Tell us what sure. that is. Well, I think City Hall 24-7 is, is really, it's intended to be the best of both worlds. So one of the things we did several years ago in the city of Maricopa was we tried to save money and, and really help increase the value of working for the city by creating a four-day work week. And so all of our uh, employees work four tens, uh, unless you're public safety, right? Public safety is going to work around the clock and they have different shifts and things like that. But for the most part, um, we have a, a time in which city hall is closed on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday which you know, our employees absolutely adore, right? Because it gives them a three-day weekend all the time. And then you have something like President's Day, and they got a four-day weekend, and all of them dart out of town, and it's great. <laughs> they love it. I get to work the entire time, but that's how it works. So, so it's, really, it's really added a, a sense of value. But at the same time, we understand that things need to still get done on Fridays, right? So we have things like inspectors that are available and those types of things. But, but for the most part, we've tried to move a lot of stuff online. We have an, a completely online permitting process. So you can be sitting in your PJs on a Sunday night, and instead of having to come down to City Hall on Monday morning, you can have all of your stuff uploaded. It's all digitally there. It's completely tracked on you know, when stuff was submitted, who looked at it last. Everything is time-stamped and dated. So it eliminates that, well, he said or she said, right? Or it becomes that argument between staff and the developer. Well, I gave you this, and no, you didn't, and it sat on somebody's desk. That's all gone. And it really helps increase the speed to market. We saw that at one point there was a 124-day time frame by which some things were submitted to permitting happening. That has been reduced to four days. Wow. That's a huge, wow. huge difference. And that means it's speed to market. 
That means money in people's pockets. And those are the types of things we're trying to encourage. From a small business perspective, we also have moved our business licensure program. We've eliminated it. And what we have created is a business registry. You might say, well, gee, Christian, that's the same thing. No, it's not. And let me tell you why. What we're trying to do is it's all voluntary. And we, while you still have to have licenses or, or you know, a permit to operate in some fashions, if you're a specialty type business, right, you're a tobacco business or an adult business or things like that, right, those require additional inspections as per state law. But everything else we've tried to minimize. And so we reduced the, the fee that was 50 bucks. Okay, it's not incomprehensible for, for someone to spend $50, $50 on their business. But we saw it as a barrier to entry into the market. And so what we really wanted to create was a way for you, know, you all as business owners, uh, I'm a business owner, how do you make this easier? And so we created this business registry. And in the business registry, it's now a one-page online application that you can print out at any time, no matter if City Hall is open or not, because uh, that was a big problem for right. us. Right? You had to have, so let's, let's say we were hosting a, our annual salsa festival, which happens in March. Okay, big event for the city. Fun, fun times. But if you're a vendor and you have forgotten to get your business license, mm -hmm. okay, you've paid your fee, you, you're ready to go, and you forgot to get your business license, well, now it's Friday morning. Saturday's the, Saturday's the event. Well, you can't get your business license, which means you can't go to the event on Saturday. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Now it does it. So what we did is we revamped it and said a business registry, 10 bucks online, one page, print it out, you're good to go, you can do it in 10 minutes. That seems more helpful, right? And now your name is added to a list that's fully transparent, easily searchable, online. Everyone can see who it is. You can see your competition. You can see what spaces uh, are not yet filled in the, in the respect of a, if you're looking for a niche business. You have basically a, a marketing ability that you're now being broadcast uh, to everybody because your information is there as to, as to your registered business. And so again, while it's voluntary, we want people to come out of the shadows and sign up in droves. And, and yet we'll go back and market to the ones that were, that were already through the business license program. But we just think that it's a valuable state of affairs when businesses can get into the marketplace easier, more simply, and, and just do their business because that's, that's what they're about. So one of the things that I really liked about that was it is really hard in a city that is growing as fast as your city is to know what's new, what is there anymore. And since we don't have telephone books or city directories like the city directories were 100 years ago, telephone books came in when everyone got a telephone, and you could flip through the pages and figure yeah. out who was new in town. Right. So one of the things that we've been trying to encourage cities to do is to exactly that, make that public-facing website. You know who has a business license. Let us see it so we can go through there find a company and search it. And I love the fact that I can search it by the type of company. I can search it by the name. It's really easy. To, so when you have people that you're bringing into Maricopa to look around, this is something that other cities don't have. And I am, I'm, now I have a model. I can go out to there and say, see, they're doing it already. It is so great for clients and for people who live here already to be able to find out what's going on. So, so I really, I really appreciate that. I think it's a great thing to have. Thank you. So you have, um, because of all the, the fees and the revamps that you've been doing, you are getting that, that business coming in. So somehow you're getting the word out. Right. How are you getting that word out? So one of the things we decided to do several years ago was that, you know, when I ran for mayor in 2012, um, 2011, you start the campaign and you start looking at all the, all the pros and cons. I went and sat down with a gal that I thought should, should be my campaign manager. 
And I said, you know, hey, I'm interested in doing this. Would you be interested in running, helping me run my campaign? And she says, well, why do I want to help you run a campaign for mayor when everyone I know wants to leave Maricopa? Oh, oh that is the worst philosophy ever, right? <laughs> okay, yes, people want to leave. It's the recession. I get it. But, but how do we change that perspective, right? Well, I ended up winning. And, and in that process, started to try and change the culture inside City Hall because I figure you need to start there. If you can change the culture there into something positive, then it can emanate out from there, right? Because that's what you have to do. You have to set a model or a standard by which everyone else subscribes to it and, and tries to uphold. And so as such, uh, as I got involved with GPEC in an ambassador's program, I realized, why aren't we doing this here? Why aren't we modeling and taking the, the wheel that's already been invented? Why aren't we doing the same thing? And so what we created here, and I launched in 2013, I think, 2012, 2013, we launched what was called the Maricopa Advocate Program, or the MAP Program. And the idea behind the MAP Program is to create an army of volunteers that are out there spreading the good word or the message uh, about the city of Maricopa and what we're working on. Mm -hmm. We're not perfect. We have our, our faults and our problems and our, our challenges. But one of the things we do have is we got a lot going for us. And we, again, I told you at the beginning of this presentation is that we don't, we don't subscribe to the theory of, that's the way it's always been done, we have to do it that way. No, that's the way it's always been done, let's throw that out and start over again, right? I mean, we just, we believe in trying to figure out the best way to do it. And so, as I looked at the MAP program, the idea was, is, wait a second, if we can bring these folks in, they will solve a problem that I cannot do. And that is, is how many garage door conversations take place that I cannot be present for to set the record straight? Right? So I pull in, I come home, I have my garage door up, I walk outside to get the mail, and my neighbor comes over and says, you know what I heard? I heard, right? And it's usually the city sucks, you know, or <laughs> something bad, or, you know, they're doing this, or I can't believe this, you know? And it's like, oh my gosh, how do you stop this, right? Well, I figured, what if we brought those folks in, you know, from a volunteer program, and we taught them specifically straight from economic development, because there's a lot of interest in Maricopa about economic development. What's coming next? What's going on? I mean, I don't know if you know this, but, but if you are a surveyor in Maricopa, watch out, because your job is going to take four times as long as you think, right? And, and it's funny, because we've had folks standing on the side of the road surveying for a given project, and suddenly their boss is calling them, saying, I can't believe you've wasted all this time. They're like, boss. I have been at this job site for four hours. And they're like, well, it should only take 30 minutes. I know, but people keep pulling over and asking me what I'm doing for what's coming here. And so <laughs> I can't get my job done. And, uh, and it's hilarious. And so, so it's just people are very interested. So, so why not satisfy the curiosity by bringing them right to the source? So if we can bring them in and we can teach them right from the government officials, right from the city manager, right from, from economic development, and tell them what is really transpiring. What, what can you do? What can't you do? Because there's this philosophy that why doesn't the city of Maricopa bring and build this? Maricopa doesn't build anything like that. I, I'm not in the hospital business. I'm not in the telemarketing business. I'm not in the industrial business. That's not what the government does, right? The government can entice, the government can attract, and the government can sell. But the government cannot build it for you and run it, okay? That's crossing, that's that bridge too far. That's crossing the line. And so my job is to go out there and sell it. But I, until I can get people to understand this and give the message out there, it's a lot more powerful when I'm online talking about it and saying this is how it works 
But when I have 15 other people that are actually doing that for me, not because I've asked them to, but because they know the information, they know how it works, they've seen it, they've participated in it, they get it, now you have an army of people solving that garage door problem that I cannot do because I cannot be in thousands of garage door conversations every day. But if I have hundreds of people out there saying, well, that's actually not true. I'm a, I'm a representative at MAP. I know for a fact this is how it works. This is what they're working on. This is where they're trying to go. Here are the actual problems they're overcoming. And most reasonable people then go, oh, I get it. I didn't <laughs> understand that before, right? I didn't know that. And it's like, okay, now you've solved the problem, right? So instead of an uproar of anger, you have a quelling of understanding and education. And it also spurs them to say, well, how can I learn that? How can I participate? And that's why the MAP program has become so successful. I think we have 150 MAPs so far. Um, most of them have reached the top tier levels. There's a, there's a ranking that, you know, as you attend certain things, then you get different levels and points and such. And, and uh, so anyways, it's just, it's turned out to be an, an amazing thing. And, you know, over the years, uh, it takes a lot of cultivation. It takes a lot of upkeep. And, and uh, you know, people will come and go, but for the most part, what we have found is that it has created a sense of pride in the community. It creates a sense of they, they want to come because they're some of the first ones to know, right, what's going on. It helps satisfy that curiosity, and it helps them share. Because one of the things that's most powerful is creating that word of mouth, right? When you go see a good movie or you experienced a wonderful restaurant or you know, you had a great experience doing something fun. What's the first thing you do? You know, most people tell their friends. Nowadays, they whip out their phone and they go all to town on social media, right? Well, that social media is also a huge hindrance when it's full of negativity. And it's great to help quell that negativity by others, not just me. Because now there is a, a veracity in knowledge that is, is going after those who are being very negative. And, and, and I don't mean in a negative way, I mean in a completely positive way, but done so in which they're able to say, well, that's actually not true. This is what they're working on. This is how it's being accomplished. And, and I'll tell you, from a real estate perspective, you guys fit that bill more than anybody. I can't tell you how many uh, MAP folks we have from the real estate agencies, uh, or real estate realtors, I'm sorry, um, because at the end of the day, that's what you do, right? You share information about a given city. And the more you know, the more up-to-date you are on this stuff, the more powerful you are in your own profession, which helps bring you success. And I think that that's one of the things that moves Maricopa forward fastest, is when we have a positive word of mouth, when we have people out there talking, not just because I'm telling you to talk positively about it, but because you actually learned it for yourself, right? The information was presented, you were there present, you can make your own decisions, but at least you know, and now once you know, you can convey that message. And that's what people that are your clients want to know. They want to know about the schools. They want to know about the, the upcomings. They want to know that their, their house is going to be of value in the future, right? And, and that's one I think the biggest things is that I can't wait to see people that, that fled during the recession and said, oh, I couldn't wait to get out of there, and now see that their house is worth a thousand times more than they paid for it then because they decided to stick it out. Those are the ones that I look forward to say, see, this is what it means because this is an opportunistic play. And this opportunity is going to keep compounding upon itself. And what do you know about supply and demand? Supply and demand says that the more that it keeps wanting to be you know, demanded and the supply is less than what is the demand is there, then the value goes up. 
And that's what we're looking to create. Right. So you mentioned as part of that description that there were things, um, events that they that these members go to. Are they private to just those people, like information sessions or work groups, or is it going to like a city council or PNC meeting? It's a little bit of everything. So, so while they're public, they're open to the uh, open to okay. the public, um, you know. But but yet they are privileged in the fact that that maps are the ones who tend to show up, right? They're the ones that, that tend to go. And, and because of that, um, yeah, the information that's disclosed is, is public information, but it's, again, it's, 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 a, it's having that direct line, right? I mean, I have my question, there's the economic development director. I have my question, there's the city manager. There I have a question, there's the, the mayor city council members, that's right? I mean, it's, it's directly getting the information from the source and, and while we don't know everything and stuff changes outside of our control, what we do have and we do know is that as we know it, you now know it. Um, and, and then from there, yes, there are, there are private events. There are things in which, you know, only certified MAP members get to go to because okay. they've reached certain ranks. Uh, so there are some privileges to it. Um, there are other things in which we're always trying to hold economic development seminars of sorts, uh, in which, again, they're the first ones to get invites to. So, wow. you know, again, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of some privilege, but at the same time, we want as many people that want to come to come. Well, that's an amazing ambassador program. Thank you. It's very good. I like that. So let's switch conversations over to you are part of the I-11 Coalition. Yes. So let's talk about those roadways and transport corridors, and particularly I-11. What does that mean to you as a city and to you as a region in Pinal, Maricopa? Because right there on that Pinal, Maricopa. You got it. I-11 to me means everything. If you... Have you ever looked at Chandler and wondered why it grew to be the way it grew? It's because it has I-10, the 60, the 101, right? Now the South 202. Do you think that that infrastructure helped grow their economic base at all? Of course. In fact, I'm a huge advocate of transportation. And it's funny because when I came to office, I always thought we had a, we had a vice mayor who was big into transportation. I'm like, oh, good, you take that. That's the boring stuff, you know? I don't want to deal with transportation. And, and then I got into it and I realized, oh my gosh, it's amazing transportation is the missing link to incredible economic development. If you want to see growth, if you want to see uh, you know, all things, you know, that, that rising tide raises all ship, if you want to see that happen, you have to have phenomenal transportation corridors. You have to. And so when you talk about I-11 for city of Maricopa, um, while it, it is not slated, the, the, the defined roadway is not slated yet, uh, it's in the tier one EIS, which is called the Envir Environmental Impact Study right now, and there then it has to move to a tier two EIS. But as it, as it narrows down and it defines this, as it's slated, if it follows a previous study done by MAG called the Haciampa Freeway Study, if it is defined and goes through that, that corridor, it will come right through Maricopa's planning area. That will change Maricopa's outlook forever because you will now have a high-speed corridor, much like the I-10, coming right through. And this connects to, to Mexico, right? So if this connects to Mexico and then goes on up, I was at an ADOT meeting the other day and the uh, Port Authority there at the uh, Port of Mariposa, they had their, their general president there. And he said, right now there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to $12 billion that come up through that Port of Mariposa, up the I-10, and on up into the western United States. All of it comes through, Mar uh, through Arizona because that's the, that's the key, right? Imagine that you had a high-speed corridor, a freeway like the I-11, that didn't have to go through downtown Phoenix. Now, it could still go to Phoenix if it wants to. It comes off the 10. 
But if it has this additional ability, we anticipate that because of that particular freeway, that more of Mexico's traffic would shift from Texas back to Arizona, and we anticipate that it would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to $60 billion worth of trade coming through here. Now, I don't know about you, but what do you think 50 to $60 billion in additional trade coming up that roadway would do for the state of Arizona? Mm -hmm. It will explode the economy, okay, explode it. So imagine the workforce that comes here. Imagine you know, the other jobs, the ancillary businesses, the homes, all the other things that come along with it. It means everything to the city of Maricopa, and frankly, I think it means everything to the state of Arizona. It's a big deal. And so if we want to see great economic development come, we have to focus on roadways. And I believe that the politicians of the state do not value that as much as they should because it's not sexy. It's not in the top priority because people don't understand it. It's why I spend so much time explaining it to people because I believe that the more transportation abilities you have, the better you're able to move your goods and services and move your people. Let me give you a little example. I was at a MAG meeting. Uh, there was a MAG EDC, which is called Economic Development Committee. And I was sitting there next to the former mayor of Gilbert named John Lewis. And John Lewis was sitting there at a, um, a grand opening of a 600,000 square foot office building complex. And they're getting ready to cut the ribbon and the owner is sitting right next to him on a little podium just like this. And the owner reaches over and, and nudges the mayor and says, Psst, mayor. And he says, what? He says, you see that right there? And he points to the building he just built, right? And he says, yeah. He says, you know why that's here? And he says, well, yeah, because you know, you're gonna create all these jobs and you have all these businesses that are gonna move in and it's you know, great for business. And he goes, well, yeah, that's true. He goes, but that's not why. He says, well, why is it here? And he pointed across the street to where the South 202 was running through. He says, that's here because that's there, period, end of story. That's what it does. It spurs economic development in droves that you cannot do any other way because people want to be able to move their goods and services and they want to be able to commute to their job in a, in a timely fashion, right? And if they have to spend a lot of time doing it, they don't want to, they'll move. Right? And so these are the things that people don't understand. And I believe that the, the more we're able to put into good transportation or great transportation in the state, the more we will see the entire economy raise. And so when you talk about things like a rail corridor, you know, rail spurs, that's something that we in the city are working on. We're trying to work collectively with the Akchen in trying to find a way that together we can work with Union Pacific to generate a, a business park or a tech corridor park that deals with rail spurs and all the industry that come from that. But again, working with the railroad is not easy, but partnerships are the key. That anytime you can establish a partnership to make things go faster or more successful, just add ammunition you know, to the big guns, so to speak, um, that helps you drive your cause. But I think that uh, the I-11 is something that this state has to get behind. And, and I know we're entering a modern era and I know that, uh, you know, in my State of the City speech this past year, uh, I talked about the modern technologies that are around us. Between Lucid here in Casa Grande, you have Nikola Motors in, in Coolidge, uh, you have uh, Waymo in Chandler. The reality is autonomous vehicles are going to change a lot of things, but they're also going to create a lot of jobs. And yet, at the same time, Volvo has a prototype flying car that just went on sale in September. So the era upon us is changing quickly, but yet transportation in general will always be needed. And how we get there and how we move those goods and services are going to define how we grow as a state.
So along with that, and if you are not familiar with the I-11 corridor, you can go to weimargad.org. ADOT was just at Weimar's government affairs meeting in January. We had a half-hour update. Part of that update was the I-11 corridor, along with the Highway 30 and, several, and 202 and several others. They will be coming. We're trying to get ADOT to come down here to Penal as well to give us update on all their projects out here because it is so critical. Yep. But at least the I-11, you, you can know about it. If you go to wemargat.org, you can see the video of the presentation. And also, if you go to transportation, there's a map of the proposed I-11 corridor. So you can see where that goes. Eventually, it's proposed to go all the way up to Canada. So think about what that means if you're going from Mexico to Canada. Think what it means about Pacific Rim coming in from California. I mean, it just puts us in an amazing position to become this real economic hub for the entire country. And, and it's interesting you say that because the, the, the way I-11 was created was that when they started to look at the maps, it, it was really interesting because do you know that the only two major metropolitan areas, Las Vegas and Phoenix, are the only ones in the entire western United States that are not connected directly by a freeway? They're the only ones. Everything else has some major freeway attaching to it, and yet you have two major destination hubs, and they're not connected. You had to take that little road, you know, you'd go up there, you go down <laughs> over the dam, it'd take you 50 million hours because it's closed, you know. I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, this is in a huge ability for us to be drawing back and forth this, this economy, and yet we've, we've capped it because we had no ability to move those goods and services, right? At least a limited version. And so this is what I'm talking about. Congress recognized it, and that's why they designated it. But, but it, can, it comes down to now funding. Where do you fund this? This stuff is not cheap. It is so expensive. But yet you have to look at the outward value. I don't think anybody in this country would doubt that this country is built because of the freeway system that came out of the 1950s, right? The 1950s and 60s. We, you know, Congress realized, oh crud, we got to be able to move our missiles around the, the entire United States, right? Okay, well, look at the system they built. Here we had this massive infrastructure program. People got to work, coming back from the war. And now you have the ability to expand because you have a rising middle class. Everyone now has cars. They're moving to and from, and they're able to say, I don't need to stay in Brooklyn anymore. Maybe I wanted to move to Montana. Jump on, a, jump on, the, on, the, on the 66, right, and come over and go up, however they want to do it. But the point is, is they could move around in a way they never could before. And while, again, air, air movement is wonderful, we have great deals on Southwest all the time to get to Las Vegas, but imagine what happens when you, when you make it faster. Okay, and that's that's the reality of it. Right. A few more minutes. You alluded to healthcare and hospitals. What other types of healthcare infrastructure do you have, and are you trying to bring in to complement what you have? Absolutely. In fact, that's something that that is you know, you have to remember that hospitals are not an easy play anymore. Okay, not that they ever were, but you used to have government subsidies that that focused on rural hospitals. Mm -hmm. I have people all the time. Oh, we have fifty thousand people here in Maricopa. We have fifty two now. Okay, 52,000, and I came from some small town back east, and we had two hospitals. Yes, but those were built when you had massive government subsidies sponsoring the rural side of things. Now health has become a political issue, right? Remember, remember Obamacare fight that just happened a little bit ago, right? You know, for good or for bad, the reality is, is a hospital doesn't want to expand when they know their bottom line might be on the chopping block because politics is about to take it over. And so they're very hesitant to, to expand. You also are dealing in a post-recessionary world. And so post-recession, people are more apt to conserve those dollars. Had a presentation by Banner Healthcare the other day that talked about they have a 4% profit margin. 
Now, their 4% is billions of dollars, but think about it. If they have a 2% swing, they're now making half of that. If they have a 4% swing, they're at zero. Now, how long can a company go making zero profits before they file for bankruptcy? And if this is one of the major players, Banner, Dignity, Honor Health, you know, all the other ones back east, it's, it's shrinking as a market, right? I mean, Casa Grande's hospital was recently acquired by Banner. Tucson Medical Center uh, was recently acquired by Banner. The smaller hospitals are being gobbled up in the need to survive because of the rising costs and expenses of all the equipment, all the doctors, all the lawsuits, all the tort reform, you know, those types of things. All of that is making it more expensive to have a hospital. So when they place a hospital, they're going to put, even in a 20-bed hospital, you're looking at a $150 million investment. I'm sorry, but the places are not going to drop $150 million lightly. And that's just to start. That's not even including the, the cost you're going to pay for your, all your doctors and then hope that you're going to recoup that based on the people using it, right? So, so we have been working very diligently with all of those different providers to get them to understand the value that Maricopa is in its surrounding area. And yet, at the same time, we're also trying to get them to think bigger. Because we don't want just a hospital. We want a hospital campus. We want them to understand the value. So, for example, there is a given company in Maricopa that owns a property, a piece of property right near the, the entrance to the city. Yet that land is so valuable. If they were to sell that and buy a different piece of land, they could buy a piece that was three times as large, have room for expansion, place the hospital there, and sell off the surrounding areas to all the ancillary businesses that love to congregate around a hospital. That would not only help self-fund the, the site, it would more than pay off for stuff and therefore make their profitability increase that much faster because they're not having to wait to pay off their initial investment. They're paying it off based on what they're selling from around them. Does that make sense? And so they're also now positioned for expansion as the city continues to grow. And so these are the things that we're trying to convey to the private sector so that while it's their job to do their due diligence and make their decisions, we're trying to help encourage them from an economic perspective to say, let us help show you the future so that you don't have to spend twice as much money by doing something, building it too small, find out that it's overutilized, and now you gotta start all over again and do something different or sell that. I mean, I don't know how you sell a hospital and then start a new one. I don't know how you repurpose it, you know? Make it a big giant bowling alley or something, I don't know. But, but I mean, it just, it just, it doesn't work. And so if you can get them to think larger, but, but actually smarter, then, then we think that that's of, of value. And what we also are seeing in Maricopa is that we're starting to see the congregation of health-related industries. You're starting to see med spas. You're starting to see cardiologists, uh, you know, foot doctors, podiatrists, all these other folks coming out here because now they're starting to have locations to either locate or they're building. But if we can, if we can create that medical campus, then it really solves a lot of problems all at once. So that's what we're working towards, but ultimately it's up to the private sector to pull that trigger. Sounds great. Your financial advisor side is coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help it. <laughs> so before we end this, I wanted to give you an opportunity to let realtors know when they have clients, commercial or residential, who are looking to locate into Maricopa or to expand, where would you like them on, particularly on your website, because there's a lot of information on your website, where would you like them to direct their clients so they get the most information the quickest? You know, that's a, that's a good question. Um, gosh, I was trying to think. We are, we're currently under a revamp in, in our website, and so it'll be a lot more intuitive, and uh, we are trying to combine a few things from the standpoint of uh, our MEDA website, which is the Maricopa Economic Development Alliance. I'm actually going to defer that question a little bit to get it from Denise, because okay. I think that at the end of the day, while we have it up there, you can see the, the resources and utilities are. There's a calendar on there, those types of things. 
I think that there's also a separate website that Denise has that is a, a more realtor-focused type website. Okay. I would also say that if you don't know this, one of the things that Maricopa does is we do realtor tours. And so we love to have you all in. We feed you lunch. We uh, put you on a big wow. bus and we drive you around Maricopa and we kind of narrate the whole thing so that you understand what is going on. Your Denise is there. Uh, other members of the planning committee are there so that you see firsthand are able to ask questions. Uh, and I think we do it two or three times a year Wonderful. so that we can we can show you firsthand. So, again, you now have that knowledge, much like our Maricopa advocates do, to go out and convey to your clients. Great. Well, I'll be contacting you because I'll put those dates up on our website Perfect. and adver advertise it on our podcast Wonderful. so we make sure our members know when that is. Awesome. I want to thank you so much for coming. No, it's been pleasure. wonderful and interesting. Please pleasure. thank Mayor Price. Thanks, guys. Thank you all for coming as well. I'm Liz Recchia. Thanks for joining me today for part two of our conversation with Mayor Price. You can access the video of this conversation and learn more about the city of Maricopa at www.wemargad.org. Wemargad, advocating for private property rights, the right to private contract, and your business. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.